Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. We're super excited to welcome John Dawson on the show. Uh, John is going to talk about this amazing musical project, this album um, that is out now. And it's all under the label Electric Forgiveness. What a good, good title. But this Thank album you. is something, it's called Original Score. And this is an album that you don't, listen, do not fast forward on the cassette. Do not skip. Do not, do <laughs> not, do not pass go. <laughs> anyway, it is, it's really cool. So everyone, I, I'm just going to give you the link now. Go to brokensoundtapes.bandcamp.com or electricforgiveness.com. But there's like all kinds of backstories to this. So welcome to the show, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, sorry for the technical difficulties earlier in the week. <laughs> ah, who cares about technicals? You know, you know yeah. the thing is, we're all here after Friday the 13th. So I, as far as I'm concerned, the world didn't stop yet. We're still going. So right. um, it's all good. And and listen, if you go through technical difficulties, and I think everyone is going through them, there's all kinds of server changes and weird stuff happening at the end of the year. You know, it gets like this. I say that um, they just got to listen to your album and chill out for the night. That's what I if think. You, if if they can listen to that album and chill out, they might have other problems, but that's that's okay, too. <laughs> yeah, listen, your album's a little trippy, and it does get a little weird, but I like that stuff, you know? Oh, um, thank you. But, no, I mean it in a, in a you know, weird in a good way. I, I love to hear, like, I love the title, Original Score, because it's definitely something different, and I think we need that these days. It's something fresh, something new, and then at the same time, it's like, yeah, you can sink into it and then go, what the heck is that? It, when you listen you're you're going to go back to it and go back to it and go back to it and hear something different i think wouldn't you say i hope so it is it is actually the score to a movie there's a there's a script that we cooked up and um the the titles on that album tie in with the script and um so and as far as the music itself goes I, we were trying to do something different i don't see the point and i despise it you know if a band puts a record out and then the reviewer says, Oh, it sounds like this band and this band and this band. If, if it just sounds like every other band, I don't even see the point of doing it. And obviously you're going to, obviously you're going to, there's bits and pieces that are going to remind people of other bands, but you should at least attempt to do something that hasn't been done 10,000 times. And you're not going to succeed all the time, but if you have some originality woven into the thing i think that's better than none that's just my well that's the, in, that's the integrity it's an integrity of art to me you know well um, we try yeah yeah so let's let's get into a little give everybody your background uh from third of never right so tell everybody about third of never and then how all of this came to be because you've got some amazing uh collaborators with this uh third of never is what you would most people would refer to as a more traditional band. It's guitar based drums, vocals, keyboards. Uh, we were based in New Jersey for a long time. I would just get on the train in North Carolina or drive up and people thought I was crazy for doing that, but the type of music I wanted to do, no one around here was interested in. And when I was in college at East Carolina, everything was either fish, the grateful dead or death metal. And all of those genres have their place. And I've actually in later years come to kind of enjoy the early era of the Grateful Dead a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, 
when we in New Jersey, there was a band called the Grip Weeds. They're still around. They're still putting out great music. Um, their drummer Kurt Ryle was just my favorite drummer on the planet at the time, and we were able to work with a few members from the Smithereens. They were up in in that New Jersey mafia, as I call them, mm-hmm. and um, John Bundrick from the Who. Uh, he's played keyboards on every third of never and electric forgiveness release that we've gotten together. Um, oh. so, uh, but after three albums done in New Jersey and playing shows up there, it just logistically and for my own sanity, I had to try to move things back to North Carolina and I was able to uh, reconnect with our original bass player, uh, Jody Haskins, who was the bass player when, uh, when the band started in our college years and, um, uh, Tony Stiglitz in Chapel Hill. He was an early drummer. Mm-hmm. And we also recruited uh, Doug McMillan and Steve Potak from the Connells. Mm-hmm. And we used to, my buddies and I used to pile into a car and just drive all over creation to see the Connells. And the opportunity to be in a band with them was just too hard to pass up. And uh, so that's been a real blessing. And uh, the, the Electric Forgiveness record that we're talking about today was made at the exact simultaneously with a new Third of Never album, and that's coming out next year. For about 10 minutes, I was thinking about putting them both out at the same time as like a double yeah. album project, which would have been great to do, but I've, calmer heads prevailed. I think if we had an unlimited budget, that would be a cool thing to do, but we don't, so we kind of have to... Um, go back into reality at some point and but i bring that up because there's how do you got a reality after you listen to original score (laughs) well you know i guess it was kind of an escape from reality a momentary a 43 minute one but but uh, we there's there's guitar and vocals from the third of never album that were sampled and used on the electric forgiveness record and there's some electronic things on the electric forgiveness record that we've found out worked well on the third of never album too. So there's a lot of cross pollination. We've got Steve Kilby from the band, the church, you know, they had their big international hit with under the Milky way, but that's, that's probably not even their 30th best song in their catalog. We've got Steve Kilby on both records. So um, a lot of people that I admire are in the band and in the projects. And um, I just had an opportunity to work with them and just kind of jumped on it without realizing how, I had forgotten how much of a pain it is to try to promote a record, especially these days when everybody can just steal them so easily. But nobody ever accused musicians of being brain surgeons. So there we are. No, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a wild world out there in regards to music. It's great, you know, in that so many people can put out what they want and have creative control, but the distribution's a little whacked, you know. I think I read um, something yesterday where they said a uh, 125,000 songs are introduced to the internet per day, something yes. like that. Well, that's exciting, mm-hmm. but it's like, and then it's it's harder when you do something like original score, so it gets more electronic. I understand, but it's hard to, you know, do that marketing stuff where oh, it's this, it's that. Sounds like, like the stuff you don't want. Like, and I totally understand that. To me, it's like. You know, everything's connected in some way in music and in life and in, in theme. And, um, you know, the blues is connected to country and country is connected to the blues and stuff like that. Right. There's always some kind of remnants and connection. But, you know, it's I feel like it's really hard to get it out there about, you know, something original that's got the element of surprise that you have. 
and something fresh? How do you, you know, I mean, I know we're doing this podcast and everything, but how, how do we get people to get like, Hey, do something completely different because we do get stuck in listening patterns, just like we do regular, you know, life routines that happens with music too. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to get caught in a rut and I, um, people my age, I mean, I, I'm, I turned 50 this year and, yeah, I, I'm hey, kind congratulations. of congratulations. Yeah, yeah, I made it. I made it. Um, uh, you know, people my I went to high school with, I'll I'll run into them, and you know, I'm I'm I haven't I'm I'm kind of stuck. I'm probably on the spectrum, but I still hoover up music like I did when I was 18. But I'll run into guys or women that I haven't seen since high school, and we'll start talking, and they'll say, "Yeah, we're uh, we're going to see." Uh, Da da da. We're going to see. They're going to see the same bands they saw in high school, and they want to only mm-hmm. hear the the two or three albums they liked in high school. And it's something about when you get out of college, it just stops. And and I make the argument where you you know you watch new movies and you watch new TV shows. I don't understand why music kind of gets frozen in amber. But that's I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just the way it is. But mm-hmm. I'm always trying to find something. Um, I have loads of old music, believe me, but I'm always kind of, there's a band out of Dallas called white denim that I really like a lot. So I'm always trying to hold on to find something that's not, you know, mm-hmm. as old as I am. Well, let's, let's go into, you know, electric uh, forgiveness, the title mm-hmm. of that, uh, the name of, of, you know, it's like, it, it is a band, right? So hopefully you guys will do new, you know, more of this and uh, another original right. sport. And let's like, did the music come and then the film, you know, was the film there and then you started writing around it? Like, how did that work? And everyone, we're going to have the link to the film. It's on YouTube um, that you can watch. Right. So it's right. like a 15 minute. Um, the, the music is 43 minutes, but don't yeah, set like your a, timer, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, we made a, like a 15 minute, 14 minute and change album trailer to try to c- condense down. Um it's basically a sampling of the album, but it flows into each other like one long track. Just the, the album is divided into 11 tracks, but if you just hit play and sit back, it flows without mm-hmm. stopping. Um, the t- electric forgiveness. Yeah, this is the second one. Uh, the first electric forgiveness CD came out in, I believe 2008 and the third of never, the first third of never album was being recorded in New Jersey and uh, the studio, the House of Vibe studio we were using, uh, which is a fantastic studio. Uh, the Smithereens were also working there and we got locked out for a couple of weeks because they had a deadline and, you know, they were a bigger deal than us. So that's just what you had to deal with. So to keep from uh, going crazy, I sent Rabbit, John Bundrick, some electronic music I had been messing with on my own just as to learn how to do it, basically. Mm. And I sent it to him just to see what would come back. And like four days later, he had sent me back. He had added so piano and organ solos to every track I sent him. So it was like, well, we got an album already. So it, it was just, it was, it started off as something to do. But this time around, um, I went in with the intent of using a live drummer, live bass. Uh, we got Sarah Bell, who just did some incredible kind of clear oh wordless she- vocals. Yes, she she brings in like this really like the other the the balance to it in a way like there's a um you know what i mean she's 
She's got like an she, ethereal voice, man. She's she 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 cool. brings in some of that that beautiful spooky, as I like to call yeah, it. Yeah, that is like yeah. the balance, like. Oh, it's going to mm-hmm. calm you, and then it's going to go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, she uh, she was, and she did, she came in and basically improvised those vocals in like two sessions. Uh, Steve Potak from the Connells also played on this, and he uh, he did all, he didn't even want to hear the album because I said, do you want me to come by your apartment and kind of run through what we got? And he said, I'd rather just hear it fresh and react to it. And I would say... <laughs> 90% of the keyboards on there is just Steve hearing it one time and it's, and he said, okay, roll it back and let's do it. And it's 90% of it is first take, maybe one or two things were wow. fixed, but that's very, very little. And wow. uh, Kurt, Kurt Ryle is the drummer. He does like a 43 minute drum solo, Mike Kelly on bass. So we, we were very lucky to get who we got. Wow. That's wild to do, isn't it? Like just to, that's wild. Yeah, you know, I do just you, I don't something I, I had like the forty three minute piece on like a chaosolator, which was kind of like the basic keyboard throb that you hear throughout that never stops. And then I was thinking, well, let's add drums and see what that sounds like. So we had the when we after adding the drums, I was like, Well, let's just throw the kitchen sink at it. And um I like it because people listen to it and they can't really figure out what kind of music it is, which is what mm-hmm. I was going for. So, no, it did because when I first listened, I was like, "What am I listening to?" And, <laughs> and it like picked me up, and I'm like, "Okay." And then all of a sudden, I was on a different planet. Like, "Oh, we're going here now." Okay, we're going here. Well, this is cool. So I can't wait because you know I know the press release says you know you need to be with a good friend in a dark room in a lava lamp. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool, and and I'm gonna have a chance to do that soon. So I think we'll be doing this. And we might be a little happy while we do it. I don't know. <laughs> well, hey, you know. Saying, it could yeah, be one of those I mean, albums and it could either take you one way or the other, you know, so that's up to you. Um, well, that's, I, I mean, my, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And no, it's to say, that's a, it's a beauty of it. You know, it's, um, yeah, that can, well, I, I like I appreciate it. it. I appreciate it. I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong teetotaler, but I do like to listen to music that kind of puts you in a mood and makes you forget about, everything that's annoying you and right. I've had a couple of people say they put this on and ended up they were just going to listen to a track or two to sample it but they ended up listening to the whole thing so I hope that, that's what that has to happen I think I'm going to use it on our next road trip um <laughs> is, well we're on a permanent road trip we travel full time and right now oh. we're actually in uh North Carolina believe it or not we're in just outside Asheville right now and um I think you know we're about to go out into the mountains in the, the Pisgah National Forest for about a week, and I think oh. I'm going to play it out there because we'll be in pristine nature, and I oh, kind of want to see how that feels. Like They're I understand the it. dark room and everything, but I kind of feel like it would be because there's like certain times, and you you understand this being the Carolinas that mist that comes in, mm-hmm. like in the early morning. Like I actually want to do it at dawn, and just see wow. how my day goes after that. Yeah, the, the, the veterinarian vets veterinarians are going to be overrun with psychotic squirrels who are going crazy from hearing this music wafting or the through ground, the, the what, what are the woodchucks that you guys have out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it ground dogs or woodchucks? Whatever, whichever one it is. Well, here. I'm, I'm from the west. I'm in uh, I'm in Bucklesbury, North Carolina. I'm closer to the coast, but my parents are vacationing in the mountains as we speak. So oh wow, we, we got it covered. You're in Bucklesbury, and that's one of the tracks. And like, how did you even do the track list on this? Like, 
And there, listen, this is I love the track list. Um, <laughs> Buckles Berry Nocturne. You know that that's. I was going where that sounds like a beer. <laughs> no, it's um, Bucklesbury is a little farming. Yeah, uh, Bucklesbury is a little farming community between Lagrange and Kinston, North Carolina. Um, I think oh. our biggest claim to fame is you remember the movie American Gangster, Denzel yeah, yeah. Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that Denzel Washington played grew up about a mile from where I grew up, and uh, you know he moved out of town obviously when he was younger, but I, I was a writer for the Kenton free press and I got to interview the real okay. guy. And I started bringing up names of old men that would have been here around his time. I said, do you remember Bill Sutton? And he said, Oh yeah. When, they, when his family killed hogs, they always brought us a lot of meat. They looked after us, you know, just talking to wow. a, a drug dealer killer. Like we were talking, you know, at the, wow. at the uh, fence post, but, um, yeah, but the titles are tied into that movie script. There is a character called Rose. Um, there is a guy who uh, has a battery on his back. He goes floundering and he uses a battery, car battery on his back to go floundering. Um, um, Paul and Frank are the main. It's kind of a road movie and there's a script for it. And we actually have potential financial backing. The trouble is we're trying to find a director who will commit to do it. It would take probably two weeks to shoot the whole thing and we, we get these directors who say yeah i want to do it huh. and then they just vaporize and i've been told that's kind of how the business works so i may have to end up just you know getting a notebook and draw pictures and make an old flip cartoon to get it done but we're gonna somehow get it done that'd be cool so did you write it yeah i i used to write for a newspaper and i still write a column a humor column on my uh dot com is actually the it's called the Bucklesbury Gazette. Uh, I wrote humor and music columns for the Kenton Free Press for seven or eight years, and you know uh, I was lucky to win a lot of awards. But when I would take those awards down to the utility company to pay my bills, they wouldn't accept them. So I had to, you know, uh, uh, make adjustments to. So if you got a family, if if you're yeah. You want to go live in your car and eat beans and be that stupid romantic crap. That's one thing. But if you've got a family depending on you, you can't really yeah. be that selfish all the time. So we just try to balance the music stuff and real life stuff. And I still do the columns on the side. I have a few sponsors, but, and I put a yeah. few books and columns out, but I always wanted to do something longer. And I've just, I've seen some really bad independent movies do well on Amazon. So my thought was, you know, if this one is at least mediocre, we would be ahead of the pack. So we'll... I think this would be a trip, man. I love uh, it. I lo- I think this would be so cool to do. I mean, I mean, you're obviously super creative with you know the music side and then the writing side, and then you're seeing the visual side too. It, it seems like you've got multi facets with creativity and and not not um. It's a, it's kind of interesting because you're not limiting yourself, but you know, I always think about how sometimes in creativity we need to be um, limited to spur the creativity. So like when you're talking about the smithereens situation, talk about high school bands, right? I grew up yeah. with <laughs> anyway, not dating myself, but I'm there. Um, mm-hmm. But when you think about it, some kind of limitation, you know, or you, you, you're not allowed to do this or, or whatever. I think sometimes limitations 
get us to go outside the box. And that's how we create new recipes when we cook, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't go to the store and get, you know, this spice. Well, what can I do now? And um, so that's kind of what I think is interesting about this because yet you're so non-limiting, but it was from, you know, not being able to go in the studio that you created a whole new thing. Yeah, awesome. it, was just, it was just from being kind of restless and you have if you have i mean john bundrick is probably in the top three hammond organ keyboardist mm. on, the, on the planet if you yeah, have access yeah. to someone like that you know you Do don't waste it so yeah yeah man this is this has got to be i hope you do more of this this is fun and i really want to see it come out as a movie because well, i think you, it'd be really cool if, if you or anyone listening knows of any directors on the East Coast that are not flaky and will actually do what they say, send them my way because I have. I do actually, and one, and he's a musician. Ah, I'm just saying. Okay. Well, we need yeah. to talk off the air then. Cause I... I know. I was just as we were talking, I was like, you know, <laughs> this idea in the back of my head. Um, mm. Yeah, that you know, I yeah, um, the documentarian, but um, really amazing. Uh, and he's worked third, with amazing he amazing musicians. He's he's worked with the top of the top musicians. And the, um and the yeah. third of Never album is coming out next year. Those songs are also tied. So that's sort of the soundtrack and this is the score. But you know, but so, I think we're going this way too, right? So there's a side of like to me growing up, it was always like with your buddies going to the store, you know, and then having listening parties and just sitting and listening to the music was a big deal, you know, as, as friends and stuff and, Mm -hmm. and on your own, it was just to sit and listen. And now I think we're so high paced, like just fast. Everything's fast, fast, fast. Are you listening or looking at your phone when you're listening? You know, it's like, I talk about driving and listening. I do a lot of listening when I drive because I'm focused and I'm in a different zone and the music is really, it's the same kind of thing, even though you have to pay attention when you're driving, but, you're have in the you, zone. Have you ever experienced an Alamo movie theater, the Alamo chain? No. Alamo is a chain of movie theaters. I don't know how many there are. There may maybe there's fifteen or twenty in the country. I think um, uh, Quentin Tarantino and um, the other director Rodriguez this is his partner. But the deal is, you go into the theater, and they play a film at the beginning to warn you. Uh, if you're caught playing on your phone during the film, they'll ask you to leave. If you're caught talking during the movie, they'll ask you to leave. And um, the fact that they have to do that is sad, but also I really like it. And I was praying that they would catch somebody playing on the phone because when I'm trying to watch something with buddies or I'm like, you know, a, a friend of mine, I tried to show him um uh, I I love the movie American Splendor with uh, the movie about Harvey P. Carr, Paul Giamatti's in it. And I said, you got to watch this movie. You'll love it. And about 10 minutes into it, he's looking at his phone. And I just wanted to just hit him with a suitcase. I said, what are you doing? I said, you can't be following this if you're looking at your phone. But he was looking up Harvey P. Carr on his phone while he was watching a movie about Harvey P. Carr. This is the movie. So you're, miss- you're missing the subtleties. Right. All the so- clues. So I'm thinking yeah. about adding a scene to this movie where someone just uh, beats the crap out of the phone user. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, I was trying to think of a nice way to say it, but you just said it exactly what <laughs> no, I was sorry, thinking. Sorry, but I just got a little riled. But you know, we're all kind of guilty too of it, you know. And it's it's the way the life is, and I just feel like we do need to have it. To me, what you're doing is an art project, and and I and I don't like the word project, but it's art mm-hmm. piece. That's better. 
um, or a piece of art because it's multifaceted. And right now people are, are watching videos. We're very video centric. Look what's all the reels and shorts. I know one minute we need to do this much length. And I'm just like, can everybody get off the length thing? Who cares? You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm so sick of it. No, it's 60 seconds. Now it's this. Oh, you know, the world of social media is like just crazy, but you know, it's helpful, but it's, it's insane. And when you're trying to do art, we need to be able to do it. So I think doing both and then going in that direction, it's cool that you're doing like, I'm, I'm glad you didn't do it all at once. I think in a way people need to get into it and then, you know, crave the next installment is, is my thought with what you're doing just because I think it's unique and different and, um, I, I think, you know, putting the video component, I'll talk to Nancy, my mom, she does all that stuff and she gets, she does weird stuff. Mm-hmm. She always said like, you know, we do all these travel podcasts and travel shows cause we're really heavy on travel and she'll put like, you know, travel writers will come back with a little footage and photos and stuff. And next thing you know, if they had like a wild cat or something like a feral cat in a grease or something, <laughs> next thing you know, some cat just pops out of nowhere and weird stuff and sound like she's a little twisted. And and I mean that in the best way because she's listening around the corner, but right. yeah, she's yelling at me already. But she is, and she's proud of it, honestly. But mm-hmm. it's you know, but I think it's the element of surprise, we, and we miss it if we're on our phones. And yet, at the same time, we're all video centric. Like, how much can we consume? But I yeah, want things where we slow down, like what you're making us do, and yet have that element of surprise to grasp us. You know? Yeah, I, when The Irishman came out, uh, the Scorsese movie, I just loved it. And I probably watched it once a week for a month. And a friend of mine was like, oh, it's too long. Now, this guy who said it was too long will sit through a 28-hour football game. But a three-hour movie just ran him up a tree. I just I just mm. don't. You know, I, yeah, well, that's interesting. So yeah. yeah. Oh, you see, because we're still in that game. Like, that's how reality TV happened. It's a mm. sport. And even it's, it's a fake sport, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it, it's a fake sport. We all know it's set up, you know, mm-hmm. even the antique roadshow apparently is set up. So like that, like that. Oh that man. Sucks. You, that's like, that you just sucks. told me Santa Claus. Oh man. Oh, well, I love the antique roadshow. I'm weird. Too. I'll sit there and I'll watch it like nonstop. And, and I don't do my phone on that because I want to hear every little historical weirdness. Cause there's all these weird things we don't know about. Like in a museum, I, you know, like, I didn't know they used, like, whale oil on this little te- like, little Turkish lamp that looks like a rock. Like, <laughs> who thought that was important? It is. And and we don't now look at us. We have Google turn our lights on and off. Like, what the hell? Did, what? How did we get there? You know, That's so the antique growth show to me is like, but it, it the setup is that they have, and it's like the same thing when we film. It's like you have to tell people. Okay, we're going to film this recipe and like this is kind of the wording you need to be yourself but like stop here say you know speak now but it's still them you know and it's not like this epic script or anything it's mm-hmm. you know but it's that's that's how the antique roadshow is it's it's just putting people in place and go yes i'm from sedona arizona you know <laughs> getting people My- set up that way I do a radio show called The Brian Hank Show out of Kinston. It runs on Monday through Fridays from 7 to 9. And our co-host on there is a guy named Jonathan Massey, and he's got uh, a two-year-old daughter. And uh, he works at a bank all day, and his daughter is, you know, by his own admission, you know, a handful. And he has really gotten in. He used to make fun of me 
because I used to like I still like to watch Bob Ross. Um and how he this is the guy who would watch football all day and loves uh superhero <laughs> movies and all this stuff. He has gotten in he doesn't even watch it with his daughter. He watches it by himself to calm down at night. That's his wow. ver- he that's his version of whiskey to calm down is to watch Bob Ross. Wow. Man, everybody's got their thing, you know? <laughs> you got yeah. you gotta do your thing. And if it's antique roadshow and you know, or you know, everybody's I just think we do need to have these moments, but if it can be this artful expression that really makes your mind because when you when you immerse yourself in something you don't know about, like I just want people to go listen to the album. Like we're not talking about every track and every sound and everything. Because I think it needs to be exactly what it is. Go listen, you know? And yeah. and that's the thing we've learned also on music podcasts. So it's like, oh, well, this made me feel this and thought that. And then that ruins it for the listener, the podcast listener. You know, it's like, go listen. And then it's for you at that point. It's what you make of it once the art has been formed but um, and put out there. But if when you listen to something, what you've done, it, it has that element of surprise, like I, I was saying, which is so cool. And then it, it you take us into a little vortex of crazy and cool. It's crazy and cool all at the same time. But that yeah. makes people think, and I'm hoping, you know, when, when you have art like yours, that it is, spurs people to have more creativity in their life. You know, you're talking about your your co-host. I mean, if he's banking, listen, we need creative bankers. We need creative accountants <laughs> and the tax. Yeah. To, we have to beat the tax man, man. You know, I'm yeah. just saying there's still potholes on the road. I don't care how much construction you have out there. There's still potholes. I know every single pothole across this country now. Because because that's what we do. We drive full time, you know, but um, yeah, I think creativity is crucial and you can't be that creative if your brain is always clicking on the next social media post. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if it weren't for, um, if it weren't for trying to promote the music stuff I do and my columns and whatnot, I don't even know if I would be on social media. It's kind of like a necessary evil. Um, now I will say the, the one, well, one of the positives is I, there's a lot of musicians and artists I follow. And so if they have an album come out or there's a new interview or a live performance, you'll get a little ding or a little link that says mm-hmm. so-and-so, you know, has a new album. And if it weren't for that social media, you would never know it happens because mainstream yeah. media doesn't care you know, if there's a new John Prine documentary coming out, but this music group, right. But I do. So, um, that's one of the good, I guess it's social media is probably 51, 49. So television is the same way. It's just, uh, knowing what to weed out. And, um, but because I, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I've been using social media nonstop trying to get the word out about this album. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, we live we by use, and die by it. Our, ours is um because I've been I've, I've had everything taken down. We were getting hacked while we were on the road and trying to fix things from a rest area on a phone with bad uh, cell reception was not the best thing to do. But right. I had to do what I had to do, and then I got myself we got us like knocked off of everything, and I had to start oh, over. Right. But but our thing has always been our newsletter. Like we've been going for twenty six years this year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, started in print and you understand those days, right? And in print publications yeah. and everything mm-hmm. and going into newsletters and websites. And I mean, it's just been this evolution of what you can do. 
And the internet's cool. I mean, we have far more readers than what we could in printing, you know? Yeah. And, um, but the newsletter has been interesting because we've also got this evolution of, you know, generations now, but it seems to me that it's, it's more personal in a way. And you, people open it when they want to. And it's kind of this connection. Whereas, you know, I know people get flooded with emails too, and we try to keep it low, like once a week, but social media, it's like, you can't, you can't, um, you can't control it really like what you want with algorithms. It's we're still having that human versus algorithm battle. And sometimes the algorithms really work and sometimes they really suck. So it's kind of this still weird robotic yeah. thing because you, we, we don't, there's not enough. Well, they recruited people that, you know, need jobs right now. Um, maybe it would work, but there's no way they can run social media and YouTube and all of that without some kind of AI. I mean, there's just too much, being submitted and i think that's what's happening to the music industry all the music that's being put up on youtube and spotify and all those distribution outlets it's all this automated kind of thing which is another weird thing <laughs> it's weird but it's good and it's weird so basically no matter what we're talking about today it's all about the duality right of life pretty much pretty much i mean there's no this there's no yes and no anymore. It's like we used to have four seasons. Now we have two. It's either 190 <laughs> yeah. degrees or you're going to be so cold you don't make a track outside. Exactly. Um, and then when you go to a movie, you know, when in the 80s, there was a definite Aww. good guy and a definite bad guy. A definite good guy and bad guy. And now, you know, one of my favorite shows, Justified, a show like that. You know, there's good guys and bad guys, but they both have their, well, he's not so bad about this. And the good guy kind of cut this corner. You know, everything's gray now, uh, which that's probably a more realistic, more realistic telling of how the world is. But uh, as far as music, I just I used to like if we finished an album, there were, you know, a handful of friends. I would love to say, you know, put a copy of the album in their hand. And now if you go up to them. Hey, we, you know, we've got a new album out. Well, they just want to link to it. If you try to hand them something physical, they just, you know, mm -hmm. look at you like you're uh, from the Waltons or something. But wow. uh, I still that's do how physical I feel about meetings. books. Feel that way about yeah, books. And being on the road, it's like we can't have physical copies in the car all the time, you know. And it's like, and we do so many authors, and we're reading them. Even Kindles, like I just want to. I hate Kindle. Sorry, Kindle. Just my personal opinion. It's not fun. You read it on your computer or your whatever screen you want to read it on. And it's just not, there's something tactile about art and, and having a CD. So with, with, uh, original score, tell everybody about getting it. Is it all streaming? Like is one, how does all of that work for people purchasing it? Okay. To, I recommend getting the CD. There may be vinyl next year, but that all depends on how everything goes right now. So uh, to get the CD, you can go to bandcamp.com. Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. You would go to brokensoundtapes.bandcamp.com, or you can just go to electricforgiveness.com, and there's links there where you can get the CD. There will also be some CDs available that are the label we've been with for a long time through uh with electric forgiveness that's jam recordings out of michigan that's jam recordings.com um 
And if you go to thirdofnever.com, all of the, all of those websites are under one umbrella. They all go to the same place and kind of show everything and how it's connected. Uh, it is also streaming. You can download MP3s or WAV files from Bandcamp. Um, so those are the ways it's available right now. Vinyl might be on the horizon. Um, but we're definitely doing vinyl for the third of never record. And depending on what kind of reaction we get from this, or if we ever get to actually make the movie, uh, that would all feed into whether we get to do vinyl for electric forgiveness or not. What about cassette? Oh, that's right. Um, broken sound tapes is also, has a limited edition cassette version. You can either get it in green or purple, I believe. And again, that's, brokensoundtapes.bandcamp.com and the inserts and the cassettes are signed by a band member so you'll get an autograph by Kurt or uh, Mike or me a couple of of us got together and just signed the inserts so um, your cassettes are a thing apparently this uh, we're in cassette week right now I didn't realize that was a thing but Michael at Broken Sound does very well with it so I said run with it I mean, if, if people want, if people want it on a cylinder or an eight track, I'll figure out how to get it to them that way. Just let me know. Wow, that's so cool though that to have cassettes back because that's kind of my thought of this was like you know old school, right? Where we had tapes and you just started playing it, and if you fast forwarded it, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm talking about in high school. I'm not calling anybody an idiot. I'm calling you know us and, and my buddies that I'm still allowed to call idiots, and they call me all kinds of really good names. But, you know, if you fast forwarded, it was like, oh, you've missed the whole point because, you know, back back in the 80s and 90s, like I'm going to say the 80s, early 90s, maybe we had such good concept albums, you know, and the 70s did it, too. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's what I love about this, where you just push play and you go on a journey, a sonic journey and people need sonic journeys. And so, you know, to have a cassette, it kind of puts you into that mode, you know, and oh, man, so you think cassettes are going to be like coming back out as much like vinyl as cause you, you're no. one of the few people I know doing this. Which is I don't cool. think it'll come back as big as vinyl, but the fact that, you know, but then again, um, Roger Waters just, he just released a horrible, horrible remake of dark side of the moon mm. called dark side of the moon redux. And it is mm. awful. Don't waste your money, but they issued it on 12 color, different versions of vinyl and cassette. So hmm. apparently cassette, I mean, in the last Who album that came out in 2019, which is a great album, was also issued on cassette. So there's hmm. there'll, always, there'll be a little niche market for it. Any, in, anything that helps music get out there and be on some kind of physical format, I'm all for it. Me right. too. And not just, you know, not even just the collection. You have to use them. You know, use yeah, them I don't, with care. Yeah, Handle with it, care. <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm not going to listen, to, I st- I'm still... When I purchase music, I'm probably still 75, 80% CD, but I do still get some new stuff on vinyl occasionally if it's not, the price isn't crazy. And, yeah. um, you know, I put, if I put on Quadrophenia by the Who, I've got to listen to the whole thing. I can't just listen to two right. tracks and stop. No, you got to no. hear the whole it, thing. So. It, it's a whole, it, it's like that journey, you know, it's a performance, it's a play, it's, you know, um, I think I think the vinyl thing is exciting, and I think Jack White I always talk about this on the show, whether people like his music or or whatever. 
you know, he really kind of spurheaded that kind of coming back. He was one of the main players in final coming back. And like, I was listening to him and I think it was Rick Rubin talking about um, a podcast with Rick Rubin talking about, you know, the fact that if we could get some of the bigger labels to get on the bus, the, the vinyl bus, the cost can go down and for everyone, you know, to actually make these, these, you know, make vinyl more affordable for people and for the independent musicians, but they just haven't done it yet. And it's kind of weird. These, I think they're so stuck in meetings in these huge places that they never get these things done. I don't understand. Or they're just stuck with I, what they know makes money. I don't I have, know, but I have a more cynical, uh, it's an uneducated opinion or uh, my, my version is, Record companies, everybody says the recording industry is in disarray. I don't think, I think this is what exactly what they wanted to happen. They can distribute this music and make money off of it without having to put it on trucks and send it around to record stores. Um, they're yeah, able yeah, yeah. and, and radio because our first couple of albums, if we got played on college radio, that's two or three dollars per play. But now BMI doesn't sample college radio as much. And on top of that, they've lowered the rates they pay out. So people are streaming, and so instead of getting two or three dollars per play, you get played on Spotify. You get maybe two or three cents. I think the record companies are doing fine, and I think this is exactly what they want to happen. And as far as driving the cost of vinyl down, as long as you've got these college kids with daddy's credit card willing to go out and pay thirty dollars for um, a Taylor Swift record, they're going to remain being thirty dollars until that stops. The way I I tend to go to a lot of flea markets and stuff, and you can go into certain places and buy classic rock albums for a dollar a piece, and then you can go to a record store and trade them in for five or six bucks a piece, and that's kind of how I keep up my vinyl habit. I just try to up trade. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. it's wild, man. That's wild. I know Taylor Swift, man, and she's you know. Annoying a few muckety mucks up there too, and telling people what's up, you know. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm not. I'm not anti Taylor Swift, mind you. Uh -huh, I realize I realize I'm not her target market, and good for her for selling the records and whatever. But as long as people are willing to pay thirty dollars, I can see maybe twenty five bucks for a double album. But I know how much it costs to manufacture these things, and if you're moving millions of units, it's not that. You could sell it for nineteen ninety eight and still have plenty of profit. I'm not against capitalism, mm -hmm. but I am against greed. So take that for mm -hmm. what you want. Yeah, just like the concerts, man. The the big concerts. What, oh, I mean, that's a whole other show. Like that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's a I, little crazy. That's a buddy insane. and I a buddy and I drove five hours a couple of weeks ago to go see Tangerine Dream in Asheville at the Orange mm. People. And no way. And we got to interview them because I have a podcast and I I had interviewed uh, Torsten from Tangerine Dream before. So we got there and did the the interview with them. And that was the perfect. I, if I could, if I never had to go into a venue any larger than that again, it would be great because it held maybe. I don't know, 3000 people, 4000 people. There was air conditioning. They weren't charging twenty eight dollars for a bottle of water. Every seat in there was a good seat. I mean, I've, I think my days of going to see mega big bands, I mean, I used to go see the Who and the Allman Brothers, no matter what, if I had mm -hmm. to crawl there backwards, I would go. But, you know, um, 
you know, REM is retired. As far as the big, big bands, I think most of my music concert attendance now are going to be places about the size that I play. I love a, yeah. a thousand seat room. That's just perfect. It is. You know what? Because it's got that more of that intimate feel, you know, and you still have that energy because a thousand people is still like a lot of people, you know, there's yeah, enough I mean, that's, to be psyched up the- on. Probably you the know? biggest crowd we've ever played in front of is maybe fifteen, sixteen hundred. And obviously, mm-hmm. if some guy came along and said, "Well, if you here, if you want to play at this festival for four hundred thousand people, obviously you would do it." But just in the reality of things, I'd pee in my pants a, if I had to perform in front of four hundred thousand people. I think I'd probably throw up backstage, <laughs> pee in my pants, have to do um, a wardrobe change, and then go out. Like seriously, four hundred thousand people—that would freak me out. I would be you know? freaked out if I was in the crowd. Being in the crowd would freak me out. I don't out. like being that. On stage, being on stage would be totally yeah. fun. Yeah, I but. know, but I'd still have to pee and puke. <laughs> it's, the, it's the double P, man. Pee, puke, and then go perform. That's the triple P, you know. Well, but well, but they, yeah, well, I think that that the most we ever performed for was like four thousand, three, four thousand people out on, on a coastal gig, and. That still tripped me out, man. That was pretty cool. People were like on the pier, like dancing and everything. I was like, well, that's pretty darn cool. That's good energy. Yeah. It was fun. And we saved the band, helped save the band shell from being torn down out in San well, Diego. That... They were going to tear it down. This uh-huh. historic band shell, like uh, Mary Pickford performed on there and all these, you know, there was this amazing history to this band shell. They were going to tear it down for a timeshare and the timeshare was going to take over the public beach and you would have to actually pay for a pass to go on a public what was a public beach so mm-hmm. you know we're doing a gig and halfway through we're like oh by the way like screw this <laughs> you know? right it's a psa moment you know and um but yeah i mean that was pretty bad like what they were going to do and and they they got voted out which was great you have to raise your voice once in a while you know you can't you can't let venues go away and I think these historic venues are crucial to keep because there's just so much history. Like when you stand on a stage, when you know certain people have performed there, you kind of like want to conjure up their history, you know, you're, that vibe of them and their sounds. And like, so it's oh, we, walked here, you know? Yeah, we, we used to play at a place in New Jersey. Uh, it's right behind the stone pony. It's called, uh, it was called Asbury Lanes. Mm. And it's a bowling alley and a tiki bar, but it also has a concert oh, cool. stage in the middle of uh, the bowling alley. And it was just some of the best shows we ever had were there. And like, I think we played there once and they said, Oh yeah, Dick Dale was here last week. And it's just, it was just an incredible venue. And Jen Hampton ran the place and she was big in the art scene. So you had this conglomeration of kind of a, a artsy crowd and you had rock guys in there and you had, you know, the guys who saw swingers probably 28 times and had the $90 bowling shirt. It was just an interesting conglomeration of people. And I think it got bought up for, uh, it may still exist in some form. I don't know, but that, that one really, that was painful to see that one go away. Wow. That, I, was, yeah, that's iconic stuff, man. We have to get to New Jersey. I've heard good things. We had friends, um, in, uh, the Cravens band out in, uh, Lake Worth, Florida. And they're mm-hmm. at a cat and they, they used to go up to Boston and New Jersey from Florida. They just said it was like the late eighties that the, the music scene had changed the eighties and nineties in Florida. So they had to go up, you know, for what was going on and, uh, musically. And it's kind of interesting that you were going up there too. It's kind of a, 
Yeah, the South went north for a while. (laughs) You know. Well, I mean, it was just down here. All I could, I could find guys who could play, but they wanted to play like fish, or they wanted to be in Slayer. And you know, uh, you got bands up in Jersey like the Grip Weeds and Defecting Gray and um, the Mod Fun, um, successful fake. There's there's the the average bar band in New Jersey is better than most bands in the top twenty right now. It's just something in the water up there as far as that kind of music. Huh. And um, but cool anyway, though. I digress. Yeah. Well, everyone, uh, you've got to go get this. Okay, original score is the title of the album, and it's electricforgiveness.com is a website to go to to keep up with them. And they're also on Facebook under Electric Forgiveness, and you can also keep up with Third of Never on Instagram and their website as well. Uh, John, don't be a stranger. What a fun conversation. <laughs> we could talk all day about the music world for sure, cool. but I'm very excited about your projects, your art pieces. I'm going to say not projects. And, um, hopefully we'll, we'll get that documentary or uh, filmmaker will, will connect you there. Hopefully. And uh, everyone yes. keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. We're always playing music out here and we want to give a shout out to our friends over at the lion and the rose bed and breakfast. Whenever we do good music shows, they're like, we want to be part. Uh, they're our good friends. Um, they're in the Montford Historic District, not far from the Orange Peel, around the corner, and they go there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're huge. They're known as Mr. and Mrs. Wild. They, you know, if they're not running a bed and breakfast, they're out, you know, watching wildlife and out in nature or watching musicians. And we all decided that it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all the wildlife, right? So get, check them out. If, you go to Asheville, go to lion-rose.com, so Asheville, North Carolina. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Thank you very much for talking to me.